Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman of the Action Network. Huge. It's, it's, it's a Monday. Um, I'm sure at some point, producer Matt Ford will come on and find a way to mock me at some point during this week. Uh, and the opening, as anyone who listens to The Favorites knows, he does so well. But it is a big Monday because it's post-draft weekend. Uh, there's a lot of NBA playoffs going on. The Warriors and the Rockets opened uh, yesterday to much fanfare and controversy. Later on in uh, this week, this weekend, Saturday, Kentucky Derby. So later on in the show, I'm going to have Matt Jones, uh, Action Network contributor from Kentucky Sports Radio. He's going to come on the show. Um, but first, on the phone with me right now, Having done, I'll take that bet on ESPN Plus. Having done the new Action Network show on Sirius on the Fantasy Channel, 87, Channel 87 on Sirius. You got to listen two hours every day, 9 to 11, Monday to Friday. Listen to that show. Uh, he was just a guest on there. Chris Raybon, Action Network senior writer. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Chad. You know, just celebrated a birthday. The NFL draft just took place, so we got rosters. I am feeling good. I'm feeling pretty good, too. Can we talk about the Warriors and the uh, Rockets for a second? I'm going to spring that on you. It's not something we talked about in advance of you coming on. But that was a pretty nutty game yesterday. And um, I know you had a lot of opinions on that game. Where did you land on that game from a betting perspective? So that one was one that I kind of stayed away from from a betting perspective. I wanted to see how they were going to play it. For game two, um, cause, so what I saw in game one was that, as everyone did, the refs missed a ton of calls. And I think with all the scrutiny, with all the players coming out on Twitter, both sides, teams that, players that weren't even involved, you know, the whole Utah Jazz team to get involved in this thing, I think they're going to call a tighter game in game two because they have no choice. And I think if they call a tighter game, and a tighter series for that matter, it benefits the Rockets because James Harden, you know, they said they missed four calls on him. That's 12 free throws. James Harden doesn't miss many free throws. So I think that you're going to see uh, – I think this is the time to bet the Warriors uh, – I mean, excuse me, bet the Rockets because if, you know, Matt Moore did a piece on Action Network and he talked about how you want to bet against the Warriors in these reaction games when they're coming off a win. Um, in the KD era, just 6-7 and seven against the spread coming off a win, but 6-3 and three coming – off a loss. I think if you want to bet them, you bet them in the third quarter. They won 11 of 14 third quarters against the Rockets since last season. That's kind of that's kind of beast. Well, that was insane last year. Like every single time the Warriors came out in the second half, they would just destroy any momentum the Rockets had, and it was so so frustrating. And you kept thinking, can they keep doing it? Can they keep doing it? Um, and look, they got into the fourth quarter this year. They were up by nine, and the Rockets made that comeback. Um, but I don't disagree with you. Like, if this game gets called, if the games get called a little bit tighter, then it's going to be a lot more interesting for the Rockets. You have bet a ton of player props this year. Like, if you follow people <laughs> in the Action Network app, I follow you in the Action Network app. Um, how did you get so into the NBA player props? I think it's really the same way I got into fantasy as a whole. You know, I, I was a big, growing up, I was a big box score head. I would, I would read every box score in the actual printed newspaper every day, pre-internet days. And uh, so, you know, just kind of going off that, you know, now you can kind of 
just bet on, you know, points, rebounds, and assists. I think it's kind of fun because you can really zero in uh, on one particular player and one particular stat and kind of, you know, versus I think sometimes in fantasy the one drawback is it's almost like when you're making it fancier, DFS lineup more so, it's like a nine-bet nine, nine bet parlay. You know, you're, you're, you're picking a lineup of nine players, and, you know, there's all these things that could go on. But um, when you're betting props, you know, it's just one singular event. You know, you bet a guy's assist, he either goes over or he goes under. So um, I really like kind of zeroing in on those, on those sometimes. Is there an edge in either the Celtics-Bucks or the Sixers-Raptors or um, the Nuggets and the Blazers? or the Warriors and the Rockets, where is the biggest edge in terms of a player who is either undervalued or overvalued? In terms of – so what I do with player props, is like one of the things I always look for is, um, you know, players that are coming off – so, like, for example, the road. They tend to do – like, role players tend to do worse on the road. Role players tend to do better um, at home. So, you know, for game ones, it doesn't apply quite as much. But once you hit, uh, you know, all these game twos, all I'm, I'm looking for guys, you know, on the Celtics um, who had, you know, big, you know, bigger games, or just guys who, essentially, like the, four, you know, the fourth and fifth options, guys like Jalen Brown, um, you know, on the uh, on the Celtics, you know, he's a guy that's like probably the fifth guy that's going to take shots uh, in that lineup. So a lot of times, you know, you get bet him on the under and on the road, you know, teams get teams struggle, they, uh, you know. A, tend to pull their starters a little earlier if they're losing on the road because they're not as worried about kind of waving the white flag um, as they are at home. So I, I like guys like that. Um, Paul Millsap, when he gets on the road, um, you know, I'm waiting for that for that game three because Paul Millsap, I mean, at home he averaged about 15 points uh, per game, uh, 43% shooting, and on the road 10 points, uh, 31% shooting. So um, he's a guy I've been banging the the unders on any time he hits the road all season but that's really how i do it and then beyond that it's just kind of um gut feel you know i really love our nba player props too at fantasylabs.com um rates every bet you know with, with a bet quality rating and those are really successful you know the, the top rated bets are hitting at about a 60 percent rate uh, since the start of the season god i love how you are looking for the you are mining for these nuggets right like you are so deep in the weeds the fact that you're reciting Paul Millsap's <laughs> stats to me, his splits between the road and at home, uh, tells me how committed and dedicated you are to betting these props, which is a little bit scary. I'm surprised your girlfriend even wanted to spend time with you this weekend. I mean, that you and me both, you and me both, Chad. But you know, it's 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 something where with the props, I mean, if you've been doing it all season, you kind of get the you kind there's there's like recurring themes, like. You know, you start to know you start to notice guys who who just play a certain way, and the NBA is a very kind of um, it's it's up and down. So I I think it's an effort league where a lot of guys uh, I don't think anyone really besides Russell Westbrook um, gives 100 percent effort every night. And so what what you see is like a guy might have a big game one day and he'll feel like he did his part and okay I'm gonna get my teammates involved. So you always have things like that. Like you usually see guys you know follow up or like Kyle Lowry the minute he had that zero point game you knew he was gonna go over his prop. Um, the next game, same, same thing with uh, Ben Simmons in that first round. Um, he had a really bad game in game one and, 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 and went over his points prop in game two. So, you know, guys are aware of their own stats very much so in the NBA. They get the box score the minute they, um, minute they hit the locker room in a post game. They get a printed out box score and they look at their stats. How, many, how often have you bet James Harden under points scored in a game this year? <laughs> I, wanna, I think zero. Um, I tend to, you know, I don't – 
even if, you know, there's there might be a little bit of value on some of those, I just, like, hate betting against superstars like that. You know, so, like, I generally don't bet Westbrook unders. I don't bet Harden unders. There's certain guys it just doesn't seem um, like a smart thing to do. And then I don't really want to bet the overs either because, you know, they're so, they're so high. So it's like you don't want to be like – it takes more for it to go right. So I like to a lot of times bet – you know, I'm looking at usually the, the fourth or fifth role player on a team. Like, I bet Andrew Bogut, you know, his under um, the other the, the last Warriors game against the uh, the Clippers because I thought, you know, he was really struggling in, in the pick and roll against Lou Williams and Montrez the game before. And I thought, you know, he might end up uh, getting less minutes. And, of course, he actually didn't even start and, and did get a lot less minutes. So, um, you know, just looking for situations like that, um, I think, are the more profitable ones because the, the, the ones with the stars um, – uh, I think they're priced a little more uh, correctly. Yeah, I do notice that also following you in the Action Network app, you consistently bet people like that I've never heard of. And so <laughs> it'll be it'll be like this random player under five and a half rebounds. Right. You know, because you, again, you're always looking for, you know, a, I would say that when a book puts out a, a line for a prop, right? A lot of times they're just making, they're just doing it very simply because they don't have a lot of time to put these out. They're putting out, you know, if there's a full slate of games, I mean, during the regular season, they're putting out hundreds of these things. Even during the playoffs, you know, when you consider, you know, three props per starter, um, there's still a lot of props. And um, the people are always betting on, you know, the, the more obscure players or the fourth and fifth options on a team. And so, uh, you know, the lines won't move and they won't, um, I don't, they won't, you know, get hit by as much sharp action or just any action, really, so the books aren't paying attention. And those are the ones I really try to, um, really try to hit because I, I find the most value on those. I'm just going to start betting whatever you bet in the player prop arena. Sounds good. Um, can we talk a little bit about the NFL? Let's you ready it. for that? I know you talked Born about ready. this on the on our brand new show on uh, Sirius Fantasy Channel 87, um, but the draft was this weekend. Kyler Murray went number one overall. Naturally, there are a million player props against Kyler Murray. Uh, touchdowns, 19, yardage, 3,500, over. over. Tell me why. Because your friend Blackjack over. Fletcher, who's a co-host over. of this, and oh my goodness. Oh my over. goodness. Over. Everything over with Kyler. Win- Arizona win total, five over. Wow. Five and a half over. Like everything. Like, like this guy... For, all right, for example, you know, in February, Kyler Murray was about, I want to say, you know, plus 500 or something like that to be picked number one. Um, and and that's, just, that's just because it, for him to go number one and for him to end up as, like, the overwhelming favorite, you know, even, you know, leading up to the draft, it's because this guy is a special player. Um, and, and he's a guy that made kind of, you know, the, the league and made, you know, people around the league kind of look at, um, you know, him differently because any other – you know, year at any time in the past, a guy of that stature, you know, would have gotten up just just for simply that stature. Um, but now, you know, people kind of realizing that that doesn't matter as much, especially with these spread offenses. Um, you know, I, I, one of the guys on on the on ABC on the when they were covering the draft mentioned some stat about he doesn't get many passes knocked down either, even though he is, um, you know, not that tall, you know, under six feet. So I think there's a special player. I, I love what they did in the draft getting uh, Isabella Minuteman and. Um, you know, they got Hakeem Butler. So I think this is going to be a pretty explosive team. And let's not forget, David Johnson's been hungry for a 1,000-yard rushing, 1,000-yard receiving season. He reminds me a lot of Todd Gurley that year 
where it was the last year with Jeff Fisher and Todd Gurley averaged 3.2 yards of carry. Nobody wanted to touch him until like the end of the second round in fantasy. Everyone kind of was like wondering what the hell happened. And then he goes out and has the most monstrous season ever the next year. Like that, that David Johnson's capable of the same thing. Like I'm, I'm already pretty much dra- drafting David Johnson over Todd Gurley in fantasy. You know, Todd Gurley's got the knee concerns, arthritic knee. Rams drafted another back. Um, you know, spent some some significant draft capital uh, on Henderson. So I think I think the Rams are a little bit worried about about Gurley, and I would be too because we know running backs have a, a short shelf life. But let's get back to the fact of the matter here: Arizona over. Cardinals over five wins, over easily. So all right, so objectively speaking, like let's say you have you have zero belief in Kyler, you have zero belief in Kingsbury, uh, and you have zero belief in the rest of the roster moves they made teams that won three games such as the cardinals over the past 15 years when a team wins three games the next year they average six and a half wins it's just the nfl is just a regression league it's just you have to be uh really uh, an outlier um to kind of ward off that that inherent regression because you know it's not just the cardinals you know other teams you know it's a strong division but you know guys can get hurt you know we already seen What's going on in Seattle where, you know, Doug Baldwin might not be back now. You know, things can happen. Things can change really quickly. And I think um, when you're betting on the NFL, it's kind of one of those leagues, I think, where you have to look for outliers a little bit more. You know, in something like the NBA, um, it's so predictable, and you can build such good models that are so accurate um, because you have such a large sample size, whereas the NFL, there's only 16 games. And so, even you know, people are just so slow to catch on to some of the most profitable situations, you know, just – like uh, Patrick Mahomes last year, you know, there's a lot of people kind of, you know, kind of on the fence about, you know, how good he would be, how good he would be in fantasy, how good the Chiefs would be, um, and, you know, we saw what happened there. So I think, you know, when you see these situations, you know, even the Bears last year, you know, 12 and 4. Um, so I think you have to really kind of um, count on, you know, if you see a team that you think is significantly better, I think you invest, and especially now, because now a lot of people haven't even looked at win totals yet. Like people aren't, like they might not bet them until August, September. So, I think you could still get a ton of value on, on teams like the Cardinals. All right, who else then? I love the Browns still at nine because I, I think that's going to jump up to nine and a half. Uh, you know, at a lot of spots, and there's no question in my mind that they're a they're a, a winning team, like they're an above 500 team. But um, to be able to get that push at nine and seven versus um, them having to win double digit games, I think is, is big. But um, you know, love what they did. You know, Baker Mayfield over the second half of last season averaged eight point five seven yards in attempt, and that was second in the league behind only Patrick Mahomes. And so, especially now with, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill looking like he might not play, um, you know, there's a chance Baker Mayfield is, just leads the league in every passing category this year. So, I mean, I really like the Browns. I, I like what they did in the draft. I think, um, you know, they, they also have top, they have top five pick talent at, at key defensive spots, too. Denzel Ward's the top five pick at corner. Miles Garrett top five pick pass rusher. So um, Brown's got a really good team. Uh, I think, um, I think they're going to be kind of in the, in the conversation um, for the AFC championship, honestly. Who did nothing on draft day to make you think, wow, I really think um, the under is the right play on this team. Cause right now I got you betting like a square and just, you know, you're all over the overs. It seems to be what you want to do. Who would you take the under on? 
Well, first of all, I think I actually wrote an article about this on Action Network too um, last week. I think now is the best time to bet overs because I do, th- you know, uh, about what three quarters I think of bets tend to come in on the overs for these win totals. So um, the overs are the ones that are going to tend to increase and the juice is going to jump. So I definitely think you want to get the overs um, sooner. And then the unders, you know, sometimes you, you see under that you like and it'll, it'll still the price will still be going up. But um, teams that I, you know, don't really. Um, that I'm betting the under on is the New Orleans Saints. And um, that's for, you know, they they kind of came into the draft with not a lot of draft capital. So, you know, I, I don't hate their picks necessarily as much as the fact that they didn't have many of them. So, you know, and they, they traded up a couple times again. So, uh, you know, they're a team that I just don't think that their roster really, uh, you know, is going to be significantly improved. And I think it's a very kind of top-heavy, fragile team. And, and, you know, they depend on Drew Brees being great a lot of the time and you know even with their receiving core i mean uh you know michael thomas is commanding about 30 percent of the targets there so if something happens to him it's a problem same thing alvin kamar if something happens to him it's a problem so uh i think that team is a team where i do breathe and look right to me over the second half um their win total is 10 and a half i'm betting the under you know if they could be a 10 win team a nine or 10 win team and i can still win that bet i, I feel really good about that because you know we've seen the Saints kind of vacillate between between uh you know what seven and nine they'll be like seven and nine they'll have a couple of good years and they'll be right back to seven and nine so um you know I'm I'm betting the under for the Saints I, I'm not really buying it I think people are just giving them too much credit because they should have made the Super Bowl maybe last year with the blown call but I, I'm I'm not buying you know them being one of the top two three teams in the league. Do you want to know which team I've already bet on to win the Super Bowl? Which team? The Indianapolis Colts. Ooh, they—they've done some. I like. I bet them. I—I I bet them. I think at eighteen to one, and I look at that team and felt like they just like they figured out who they were, who they were in the second half of the year. They got better and better and better, and they've made enough sort of tweaks to their um, to their roster that they are completely to me undervalued. Like if you're looking at that. If you're looking at that conference, um, they I feel like they could come out of there in a way that that is different, that that it's just going to be unexpected. I loved their price. I tend to like to bet on teams that are uh, at 10 to 20 to 1 in the um, future value. And while the Patriots sort of continue to sort of be that team that beats the odds, necess- you know, in that in that philosophy – Struggling with my words here today, but um, why are you laughing? Who's laughing, Antonio? <laughs> I think you're hearing ghosts, Chad. I don't think you're. I don't think you're that. You feeling that good about that 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 pick after all? I, I think you're just. You know, you're you're hearing them in your head. We're in your head. No, man. I feel really head. good about the pick. I just don't feel good about my explanation for the pick. Basically, <laughs> I, mean, I no, like him I, at I eighteen think, to one. I think, I know what you're I think to say. there's you know, value. There's Andrew Luck. Um, you know, they, they kind of exceeded expectations last year uh, after a slow, a slowish start. And, you know, I think, you know, there's, this is a team that's, you know, the coaching, I think the coaching with Frank Wright, I think the coaching was really good um, last year. I think that helped him out a lot. I think, you know, the one thing for them, I think they just have to make sure that, um, you know, hopefully, you know, either Paris Campbell, uh, their, their, their draft pick, a wide receiver, um, gives them a boost or, or Devin Funches or somebody because, uh, Andrew Luck is really doing it, doing it all. I think Marlon Mack was big for them um, coming down the stretch. So if he can stay healthy and they can get another 
another guy, you know, to, to kind of support Ebron and, and Hilton, um, you know, out wide, I think it really opens things up for them. And I think their defense, you know, young defense kind of Everflus was a really, really strong coordinator. I think that, you know, they, they exceeded all expectations on defense last year. We thought it was going to take them a while. And, and they still have a young, a young defense um, that, that could be one of the better ones in the league this year. So um, I totally, I'm totally on board with, with the Colts. I like them a lot. If I offered you my Colts ticket for $100 right now at whatever it is, 18 to 1, 16 to 1, whatever, would you take it? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's really what their odds are right now, though. I mean, it's not like I'm getting any other like value that I couldn't get um, just at a book. But, yeah, would I bet on the Colts? Sure. Hmm. Maybe I'll think about that. Like I see him, I think I see him at sixteen to one right now. So, I mean, they'll probably they're probably one of those um those trendier picks that. So I would think their price would you know their price would go up as the uh, as the off season progresses. Um, when you did you watch the draft this weekend? Yes, I did. And uh, what was the pick that was that you thought was like, oh, this is the pick that I love more than any? You know. I actually, I really like going back to the Cardinals. I know we keep talking about the Cardinals, but I really like the the Byron Murphy pick because, you know, I think one of the things with them has been, you know, one of the pain points with them has been they, they've struggled most of Patrick Peterson's career to put a guy opposite him that can kind of, um, you know, take the heat off and that defenses don't really want to, to throw at. And I think, you know, being able to get a, a corner like that um, was, was a really, you know, when he's been, he's, he's been, um, you know, he's an excellent corner, can do, can very versatile press zone, everything. So I, I think getting a corner like that was, was really big for them. Um, and, and I think the Debo Samuel pick uh, for San Francisco, I think he, wide receiver, you know, I think he could, um, he could be big for them because they really struggled to score a touchdown um, in the red zone. And that was a, a problem going back to Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, little six game, whatever stint in 2017 as well. So, I think that you know them adding a, a guy who can catch touchdowns and take some of that pressure off Kittle. You know, having having a guy like that, you still have Pettis, you still, and of course Kittle and and all those running backs, Kevin Coleman and whatnot. I think this is one of those offenses that could really be a lot more explosive than maybe people were uh, were kind of thinking of because you know Jimmy G kind of got hurt and kind of out of sight, out of mind. But I think that's a team to watch out for, especially on offense. They could get in a lot of shootouts because I don't know if they improved their defense that much outside of. Uh, you know, they got Bosa, but I think the back end could still use a little work. So I think they could end up in a lot of shootouts this year. Why do you think the Miami Dolphins uh, win total went down? Let's frame it I don't know. I've seen it, I've seen it at five, and then I've, I've, all of a sudden I've seen it at four and a half at places. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, it just it just kind of looks like they're they're kind of in this – they're in a rebuild. And we, you know, even though they, they traded for Rosen, uh, yeah, I think everyone kind of knows that that they're in a rebuild. I, I think that they had a solid draft, but, you know, un, not really a spectacular one um, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, you know, don't really see them winning many games. And then I think, you know, other teams in the division, I think the Patriots had a, a good draft. I think all the other teams in the division probably had had solid drafts. So, um, you know, if you're going to lose games, uh, you get, you're playing those, the teams in the AFC East twice each. You're, you're that one of the, the team that had the worst draft there. You know, is probably going to get knocked down a little bit. So I don't think the Dolphins are going to really try to win this year. I mean, I think they will start Rosen, and we'll see how that goes. But you know, Rosen, I mean, in a, without much of a you know, without much last year, 
um, wasn't wasn't too good. So we'll see. You know, now he's in a situation where we've got another, uh, you know, another first-year coach. He's got another offense that's not really that much around him, a lot of inexperience. So um, he could just be – it could kind of not be much better than last year with him on the Cardinals um, down in Miami. So I, I think that, you know – and then Fitzpatrick, I mean, you know, he was good because of – what was around him, I, I, you know, Mike Evans, Godwin, Humphreys was really good, D-Jacks, like, it's hard not to put up huge numbers. O.J. Howard, like, when you're throwing at guys like that, so I think he's going to come back down to earth, and we've seen him be just a turnover machine, so I think that that team's going to struggle to win games. Listen, you have gone through, you have proven what a nerd you really are. You look cool, you come into the office, you don't take off your sunglasses, um, I know how late you go out. You're usually wearing your like cool retro members only jacket, um, looking better than anybody else. And yet at the end of the day, you're talking to me about like Paul Millsap road splits and <laughs> getting deep, deep, deep into like teams that have won three games and how they do the next year. You are like Ravel like in your nerd qualities. Oh, no, that's blasphemous, Chad, but I do appreciate the compliments. But, yo, we need to talk about one more thing at least before I get out of here, and that's this, this Daniel Jones pick. We need to talk about this Daniel Jones pick because it's just – it's almost gotten to the point where it's like the people – like, I, you know, regardless of what you think of him as a quarterback, it's like some of the reasons I've seen for, for people um, kind of slandering the pick don't really make as much sense and sound as smart as, as they think. It is, you know, as they think they do, because it's like, okay, everyone's like, well, you took him at six when you could have got him at 17. But if you were running a franchise with that mentality and you were any team between, uh, between you know, after the Giants, so between six and 17, essentially, you would have been wrong because the team at six would have took him. So you can't have that mentality. Like, I think there's a lot of ways that you could um, kind of, say that that wasn't a good pick, but that was that to me, that's just such a stupid one to say, Oh, you could have, you could have waited because no, you couldn't have, because you know, just like, I don't think any other, if, if you didn't expect a team to take them at that spot, then you would have been wrong. Um, second, I think David Gettleman's response to the, the whole thing, you know, about, Oh, well, we want to follow the Kansas city model. I, I think that's a, a, you know, a shaky premise as well, because like, you remember, you remember the Chiefs in 2017, right? Like, they were, you know, Alex Smith had, like, the year of his life. Uh, the Albert Wilson led the league in separation. because, And that was, you know, because the Tyreek Hill was drawing so much attention that, you know, everyone was running wide open. Everyone thought Alex Smith was a deep ball thrower. You know, what if Kansas City, you know, now we see what, what happened with Kareem Hunt. We see what happened with Tyreek Hill. You know, what if Kansas City's window was – you know, before, like in 2017, and what if the Kansas City model only held them back, right? Like, what if Patrick Mahomes in 2017 just does even better than Alex Smith? Because, I mean, everyone was running wide open. So, I mean, I don't know how much that sitting on the bench watching Alex Smith, who plays completely different than him, really did. So, like, I, I hope that David Gettleman is not – that to me, that would be a much bigger sin than making the pick is, oh, we're, we're going to sit this guy behind, you know – uh, uh, the ghost of Eli Manning. Like, what, you know, you can learn from Eli Manning while starting. Like, you don't have to watch Eli Manning throw two yard passes into the ground to, 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 to be a good quarterback. 
for, you know, to watch that for a year. So I hope, I hope he's not really trying to follow that. I'm hoping he's just saying that because he wants to kind of show respect to Eli. So that's, that's just what I was thinking about that, that pick. By the way, you haven't written that at all, and that is a brilliant freaking take. The take about Dave Gettleman saying the Chiefs model and then could have, 2017 could have been the Chiefs window is genius. You need to write that right now for tomorrow. I will. I got you. You get to do an interview and you get an assignment. See what I do for you? <laughs> I see you, uh, man. It's okay. It's okay. You know, you gave me Chris all the compliments about the, the jackets and stuff. So, you know, I got to gotta pay you back and pay all the, pay all the listeners back. Kyrie. You know, I know they want to they wanna hear more about why, the, why David Gettleman's uh, dumb, because that seems to be the best, uh, well, everyone's favorite topic right now. <laughs> but you've got a different, you've got an entirely different hot take on that. Chris Raybon, thank you for coming on The Favorites. Coming up next on The Favorites, Matt Jones. We're going to talk about uh, Kentucky Derby with Kentucky Sports Radio. Raybon, thanks, man. Thank you. Joining me now on The Favorites, one of our favorites from Kentucky Sports Radio, calling me from Lexington, Mr. Matt Jones, contributor to Action Network, along with Drew Franklin. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I uh, did a radio show Saturday with another of your contributors, Jeff Schwartz. Got to know him a little bit, and now I have another Action Network friend. Uh, were you up in? Uh, were you in Bristol doing draft stuff with Jeff? Uh, well, I did it from Kentucky, but yeah, we hosted the NFL draft uh, preview show on Saturday morning. So it was me, him, and Meyer Metcalf. But I didn't really know him before. He was great. Oh, he's Jeff is fantastic. Jeff is awesome. What um and you know what Jeff is? Jeff is an inveterate um baseball better. And since you have been contributing to the Action Network and since you have been talking a lot about the app, you are making a lot of baseball picks. Tell me how that's going for you and why you decided to do it. It goes to show you how weird gambling is in general. Like I know probably more about college basketball and football than any sport. And yet I am found I'm a significantly better baseball better, even though I don't ever really know, watch it or no. I'm sure it's luck. But I've started, I think I'm 37 and 16 right now. And that's crazy for, for, uh, for baseball. I think what I like about it is I really like betting the over and unders because I think if you look at, I think there's some value to be found if you look at weather pitchers, lineups, et cetera. And I, I've had a lot of success betting the over-under, specifically the unders uh, in cold-weather games. I know that won't last forever. But it's been, you know, it's an example of why I actually like doing stuff with the Action Network. I would have never thought about betting on baseball. I would have probably said that seems like something for degenerates. And maybe it's just that I've become a degenerate. But uh, I actually have, have enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, it's funny you say that. So, like, baseball is one of those sports where um, it is for hardcore, everyday gamblers. It is such a volume sport with so many games that it's hard yeah. to just sort of dip in. It's hard to like, okay, I'm going to bet on the Cardinals and Cubs this weekend if you haven't sort of kept up with the pitchers, how managers are using the bullpen, who's playing, what, um, like what the weather is, all those kinds of things. It's really challenging. So the fact you're doing it as often as you do, I- I'm a little afraid for you. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, again, I'm sure it'll even out. I'm sure I'll I'll sort of regress to the mean at some point. But I think, you know, it seemed to me, again, who knows, but in April, especially when you're looking at weather patterns, you know, the ball doesn't fly. I've I've bet on every, like, I'm a Reds fan. 
and I know the Reds cannot score. So the unders on the Reds has been amazing this year because they can't hit. They have four starters under 200 in batting average. And so betting the unders on Reds games this year has paid for my vacation. So I, it's annoying as a fan <laughs> that they have great pitching and no hitting. But as a, as a gambler, it's been excellent. The Reds are an interesting team to me. They have not been relevant since 1990. So yeah. how do you even continue to root for a team like that? It's not even like you're rooting for a bad team. You're just rooting for a team that doesn't matter. Like they have not mattered in forever. It's like a team. It's like a southeastern team in football, right? Like no one really talks about the Carolina Panthers. You know, no one really talks about the Atlanta Falcons. Like no one talks about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Reds are one of those teams where I have a hard time figuring out why anybody would be a fan of that team. Well, I root for them in the sense of it gives me something to do in the off season. I root for them more of as a reason to go places. Uh, in the summer to watch games. I don't, you know, when you're a Kentucky sports fan, and I'm sure a lot of people are fans of various teams are like this. Every game is like live and die. You don't get any fun games. Every game is if you lose, you're depressed. With baseball, I enjoy it because I don't really care about any game particularly. And so I can just enjoy it. I guess you would say the way a normal human being would enjoy sports, but I'm not a normal human being when it comes to Kentucky. So that's what I like about the Reds. Because there's 162 games, because I know that they're generally going to be terrible, no particular game or season really bothers me, and that makes it easier. How many games will you watch? How many Reds games will you watch? Well, in the last couple of years, I've actually watched more. I mean, I bought season tickets this year for the first time, and I've probably gone to – I've gone to three or four already. I'll go to probably 30 during the year. And then I give the others away, and it's just, you know. But it's what I consider baseball the ultimate background noise. It's a great thing to put on while you're doing other things. You know, if you miss a play, who cares? I think that's what makes it, uh, makes it work. How much are they charging you for season tickets to the Reds games? So I think we, we, I'm, on, I'm like right behind the plate. And, uh, like, I'm, like, eight rows back right behind the plate. It's, it has its own, like, bar area. And I think the tickets are, like, 75 bucks a game, something like that. So that's not, a, that's not an insignificant investment, right? You're, it's like you probably – how many tickets you get? Two. I just get two. So it's, it's 150 bucks per ticket. Yeah, for times 80, 80 or 81. whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's, not, that's, like, uh, it's going to be 10, 12 grand for the year. Yeah, it's about twelve grand, but I also consider it like like it's the kind of thing that I give them away to people as gifts. It's a good way, like people I sort of know and I'm interested in talking to once a year. I can do it by giving them tickets. Be like, oh, hi, friend that I never speak to. Here's a couple of tickets, and uh, you know, if it's a nice night, you can go watch. And then when Mike Trout or somebody's in town, I can go. So I just feel like it's it's just a positive thing for everybody. I like that. All right, so so that's not a bad thing. Do you think your twelve thousand dollars would be better spent on Cincinnati Reds baseball or betting on Roadster in the Kentucky Derby? <laughs> well, that, that, that's a difficult question. Uh, I haven't broken down how much I like Roadster as a potential getting in my uh, trifecta pool, but I would say. 
the Reds give me about $12,000 worth of entertainment. Kentucky can give me a million dollars worth of entertainment or a heart attack. With the Cincinnati Reds, I know exactly what I'm getting. It's always going to be disappointing. Like, you're going to have a nice night. You're going to have a couple drinks. No, no, no. It's not disappointing because I know – like, I have a theory, Chad. I say this all the time. It's one of my life's lessons. And life is about expectations. I think 90% of your happiness in life is about where you set your expectations. And most of the people who are unhappy in life, part of the issue is their expectations. So for me, I set the, the Reds' expectations as it's going to be a nice night. I'm going to get a nice, uh, you know, stadium meal. And uh, I'm going to sit in the, in the breeze. And if that's my expectation, then I'm always happy. I think you're right. I might be setting my expectations for life too high. Yeah, it's not. But, but I mean, you, you want to do it for some things. But I think a lot of what, like, like take, this, we're getting off track here, but take relationships. Like if your expectation in life is that my significant other has to be perfect, you're destined to be miserable. But if your expectation is, is my life better with this person in it than not, then that standard is, 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 can be met and you can be happy. So that's the way I learned many years ago. If you set expectations right, life is generally a positive experience. Oh, my God. My wife had such low expectations, which explains why she's still around after all these years. Well, I mean, she probably thinks that being with the Chad Millman is better than not being with him. And so if that's it, then she's happy. Mm, I think you've got that one entirely wrong, my friend. What should my expectations be if I came to Louisville for the Kentucky Derby? Um, we can talk about the race for a few minutes because they're, they're basically right now like three sort of favorites – and everybody else is in double digits. Like three, the three favorites right now are. But see, that's a great that that's a great race though to make money on. Like, right. like you, the the standard that it is right now for the Derby, and this happens about once every three or four years. To me, is the standard as to how the Derby is an awesome day of gambling. But but you're right. If you can get three, if you. I had somebody give me a tip once. It was just a local guy there at Churchill Downs, and it has been the tip that is the best tip anyone's ever given me. If you go back through history and look at the Derby, in the last 12 to 15 years, which is, I would say, once the Internet has made it to where gambling has kind of evened out in horse racing, the Derby almost inevitably in the exacta, and, or excuse me, in the trifecta and the superfecta, includes two of the three favorites, one medium shot and one long shot. The superfect of the last four years, two of the three favorites, one medium shot, one long shot. If you go back and look, I think it's something like nine of the last 12 years have followed that pattern. And so to me, the key in gambling, for the, just for the derby, because there's so many horses and so much stupid money, in it, is you've got to look at the three, three favorites and you've got to commit to two of them. And one of them you've got to throw out. And so all of your betting patterns have to start with that. Which of the three favorites do I not believe in? Only once in the last 15 years have the three favorites come one, two, three. So you've got to get rid of one of them. And that's the part. If you can get rid of the right one, 
then I think you have a really good chance of making money, and that's what I always do. So I look for two of the three favorites, two middle-of-the-road horses and a long shot. I play with those five horses, and if you can hit them, then you have a chance of making, like, serious money. So the three favorites right now are Omaha Beach and Roadster, who are both in the, say, 7-2, to 5-1 range, and Improbable, which is a Bob Baffert horse. Um, and that's at anywhere from five to one to eight to one. So very sort of superficially, if you're looking at those three horses right now, knowing it's still like early in the week and, you know, whisper Wednesday hasn't happened when like everyone and all the wise guys start talking about which horses they like the best. Um, how should I even be going about my research for deciding Omaha beach roadster or improbable? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving Omaha Beach because I, I, I think Omaha Beach is, you know, every two to three years you get a super talented horse. Now, we've been blessed at the Derby in the last few years with a couple of those, not just, uh, you know, not, not, not just American Pharaoh and, 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 and Justify, but other, others as well that have come through that have been very good. I think Omaha Beach is not quite on that level, but I'm putting Omaha Beach in. I haven't broken down the Roadster and Improbable enough, but I would say this. I, I, it is very rare at the Derby when Baffert's not even in the conversation. So I'm going to look at those two, and one of the things I'm going to look at specifically is how do they do in fields of six or more horses, and then I'm going to really look to see when they have been tested and they have faced traffic, what happens? Because I think the thing that's the hardest to predict at the Derby is the traffic. No matter what, unless you're one of these horses like Justify that just comes out at the beginning and just runs away, you're going to face traffic, and some horses just don't like it. So those will be the things that I will look at. But I'm not leaving Omaha Beach out. So then I'm going to drop one of those two, and then the key is figuring out the moderates and the long shots. And there really is a lot of local knowledge to that. You talk about Whisper Wednesday. But over the years, I've hit the Superfecta on the, on the Derby, I think two of the last five years, and then three of the last seven. When that's happened, it's always been because I've had the right long shot. And that really is something that, for whatever reason, local knowledge seems to matter because they see that coming with the, with the long shots, how they work that day. And so Wednesday, I do go out to the track Wednesday. That's my day to find the long shot I'm throwing in. I kind of wish I was coming down to Louisville and spending the week with you. You've got a new restaurant in Lexington. Like, what yes. happens for you the week, of, the week of the Derby this week? Well, it's, it, you know what's weird is the Derby is one of these events that, like, Everybody in Kentucky has something about it they like. You have the hardcore horse people, right? Like, they love it because of the horse action. It's also a massive party. I mean, I don't think, unless you've ever been, I don't think people realize what a huge party it is. Louisville becomes, for a weekend, the most fun place in the country. And, And I love Kentucky, but it's not like that any other weekend. But for one weekend, there are parties everywhere, every night. The track is crazy. There are people from all over the world here. And no matter what you do, it's fun. So I really enjoy it because I just like to float to different types of events. I went through a period that I went to all those parties. That period is kind of past. So I kind of enjoy it now for the horse racing and the people watching. And uh, the, the horse racing, they really start on Wednesday. On Wednesday becomes the day that a lot of the sort of hardcore horse people go 
Thursday they call Furby. That's when the kind of people, it's the people of Kentucky social gathering. Oaks and Derby have now become absolute wild scenes that, like, it's hard to say it has any culture beyond try to make sure you get home alive. (laughs) Uh, All right, well, listen, Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio, contributor to the Action Network. Um, I hope you make it through the week alive. We'd like you to continue doing stuff for us, so that would be great. If nothing else, I think the Reds need you behind home plate, cheering them on. Um, So please... Get through, the, get through the week safely. Let me say this about uh, for people who are listening to this, you may be like casual. I mean, the hardcore horse racing people know more about it than, than, than me. But the casual horse racing people, here's what I've found over the years. The, the, the surprising money out there is in the lead up to the derby races because the derby is full of stupid money. But the derby, you know, people care about it enough that there's also a lot of smart money. The races on Derby Day that are not the Derby, that track is filled with idiots betting. And there is so much room to win on those races. Races about five through ten on the card that if you will do your research, I think Breeders' Cup early day and Derby early day is where you make money. It's good advice. People should check out what you're going to be writing on Action Network so they can, uh, what you and Drew Franklin do, so they can get a little bit of advice on that. Matt Jones, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. All right. Thank you very much to Chris Raybon from the Action Network. Thank you very much to Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio and the Action Network. This has been The Favorites, the podcast. Download the podcast from Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Rate us. Subscribe, download it from radio.com slash the action network. Until next time, I'm Chad Millman. <laughs>